Uh, you know, we're back from a four-day eye screening. You all know that, right? Uh, we helped to put together an eye screening in Richmond, by the way. Uh, for all the people who are new, it's, it's eye screening. Because a lot of times we hear like, oh, it's an ice cream social? I, I, not ice cream, ice screening. We, we saw over... 300 people from the city of Richmond and the surrounding area. Our mission for the eye screening was pretty simple. It's for God to be seen. It's for people to be loved. And for lives to be changed. And our practical expression of love was eye care and glasses around conversation and prayer. And it's a really cool thing that happens in Richmond during the eye screening what you see is that barriers are being removed. I want to say they're being removed by the gospel. Social barriers. Racial barriers. Like, for example, I was in the prayer tent, and I was having a conversation with a really tall um, man, and he's from the shelter. And I was asking him about a prayer request, and he says, he says, my heart is aching. I mean, you just really, like, cutting to the chase, just being really honest. And I said, why? And he said, my, my kids have been separated from me, and I'm just, I'm just missing them. I'm aching, you know? And it was, it's kind of weird because I, I, I kind of feel the same experience. Raina has taken our kids to Hong Kong with her, and so I'm missing them terribly. And so I felt like there was the fellowship of the aching heart at that moment. And like, oh, I kind of feel. But I just felt a little bit of what he feels on a massive scale. But I just felt it was a moment of empathy. It was a moment of connection with someone who couldn't be more different than me. And I just thought there's something right about this moment. In this day and age, the problems that plague our nation across race, for two very different people to be connecting at the eye screening, having an empathetic, emotional connection. I'm like, yeah. This smells like the gospel. This is good. I'm glad we're doing this. And we're going to have more opportunities to do things like that. But it was an amazing time. And we're going to talk more about the eye screening and what happened in the weeks, the Sundays to come. So we're going to be tapping people for testimonies. And that's, that's, that's headed your way really soon. Let's go to James chapter 4, verse 1. We've been making our way through the book of James. James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is like, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is in your heart, this is what it's going to look like. And he starts talking about social justice. He starts talking about watching your words. That's what we covered last week. And today, he's talking about um, relationships, but Really, the general subject is how are we in the world but not of the world? Now, here's the question that starts off three verses. These verses are rich, okay? We're just going to go verse by verse. In case you get lost, you should just know we're going verse by verse, okay? But James starts off with this question. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Why do people fight? You know, uh, we know intuitively that people fight. It just is. Married people fight. Siblings fight. Roommates 
fight. And there's just certain relationships that come with built-in tension that require work and patience that we don't always have. Anyone here have a mother-in-law? Anyone here have a son-in-law? We will pray for you. When parents who don't leave a will pass away, what do the children do with the inheritance? They fight. When we feel undercut by a best friend or a roommate or a spouse or a boss and we try to shrug it off but it really bothers us because we feel disrespected, we feel a grain of humiliation and then they do it again, what do we do? We fight. When I was growing up, we had a, a joke. I mean no offense by this, but it's a little bit offensive. What, what do you call a Taiwanese church that is ready to plant another church? A church split. Kind of true. <laughs> Not my home church, but it, it's kind of true. Churches fight. You turn on the news nowadays and you see people are fighting. We have, we have a, a president, I want to say this respectfully, who always seems to be in the middle of a fight. Because maybe there's a disposition for causing one. We fight. And so the question that we're asking this morning is why do we fight? It's not just an acknowledgement that there's something in the human condition that results in a lot of fighting, because there is. But it's asking the question, what's behind it? What's the cause of it? And ultimately in our relationships, what can we do about it? And this is what James is seeking to address in these three verses. Now, um, maybe today you're not right with someone, mother-in-law, boss, sister, brother, spouse, children, bad uncle. I don't know. But here is a really good question that James is addressing, which is, what causes quarrels and fights among you? James is going to give you his perspective. And I believe that James, in these few verses, just three verses, is going to give you an explanation that if you really think about it, it's, it's new. It's novel. I'm thinking you probably haven't heard this before. I may be wrong. But I actually think if you step back and think about it, it's pretty shocking. So let's pray. Father, I was praying this this morning. What we need for, for transformation, for change, is a mixture of your spirit and your word. We're going to go through your, your word, but we need your spirit. Would you be whispering something to our hearts, encouraging us and changing us? Because it's by your power, Holy Spirit, that we are changed by the power of God. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now I want you to keep in mind, James is not going to give you something pithy and small. He, he's not like, hey, this is, an, this is like a technique seminar. Try this technique. No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's true all scripture. He goes deep, okay? James goes deep. But you, you tell me if, uh, if you feel like it's true. Okay, here's the explanation that James is giving for why we fight so much. Here it is. <clears throat> James is like, I'll tell you why we fight so much. Is it not your passions that war inside you? You're like, what? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Jim is like, the reason you're fighting so much is because you're divided inside. Each one of you is divided inside yourself. You're divided in terms of your passion. In other words, in your heart, you want two things. But you can't have both things. You want two things simultaneous, but you can't have both. 
And so the reason that you're fighting is because you're divided inside. Is that true? Think about it. No, it, it is funny because in order there, for there to be a fight, there needs to be at least two different people. And, and James is saying, well, actually, you have two different people inside you. And that's actually the source of the fight. There is an angel inside you. There's a, there's a devil inside you. And they are at war, and that's why we fight. So we, we quarrel, and the reason that we're not happy with former best friend or sibling or boss, and the source of the problem is the dividedness inside the human heart. Do you believe that what James is saying is true? Now, what I want you to do at this moment is I want you to hold on to that thought because I promise you James is going to go back to that. He uses a chiastic structure, which is like he introduces a thought, he goes on to another one, he goes back to that original thought. He's going to go back. But in this next verse and this next thought, he's going to take it into a surprising direction. This is verse 2. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. Okay, James says, you desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Okay, so right away we go, well, come on, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? I've, I've never murdered someone. James, you're talking in extremes. I can't really relate to that. Hold on. Yes, James is talking in extremes. He's talking black and white. But if you look at the principle, it's the same principle that applies to all the small little murders that we commit every day. When was the last time you rolled your eyes at someone? Uh, there, there was a marriage counselor that says when, when, they, when they meet with a couple and... Um, and there's too many eye-rolling, the marriage counselor goes, uh-oh, that is not a good sign. Whenever we speak with contempt, not in these words, but you're thinking, are you stupid or something? We're, we're killing their dignity. It's these tiny little daggers that's coming from our mouths, our, a mean-spiritedness to our words. When we gossip, we speak ill of someone. We say something about someone that we would never say if they were right in front of us. It's like these little daggers that are going into their back. So yeah, yeah, James is talking in extremes, but he's getting at the principle that we can all relate to. It's not murder literally, but it's murder literally. That's not really a word, but you get my point. It's all the little murders. He says, you desire you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you don't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, both of these sentences are describing the same situation, which is that you have something that you desire. The desire is unmet, so you feel discontent and dissatisfied, and so you quarrel, and you, you fight, and you're, you're thinking murderous thoughts. What do you call something that you desire and cannot obtain? And if you look at the bullet, if you look at your notes, it's an unmet need. James is saying, whenever you see two people really fighting, what you really see going on, if you peel the layers, is 
a need that is unmet and a desire that is unfulfilled. That's what's really going on. If you look at people fighting, that's really what's going on. Not long ago, I had a fight with my mom. Uh, so one day, my mom calls me out of the blue, okay? Uh, it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you what happened verbatim, okay? Calls me out of the blue. I pick up the phone. She says, oh, uh, Andrew, um, I have a question to ask you. Uh, do you think you're a good son? I'm not kidding you. That was the question. Do you think you're a good son? Right, like, like right after my name. And I don't even remember what I said. I think I said, I, I try. I try to, to, to love you. And she says, okay, I just want to know what you would say. Bye-bye. And she hung up on me. I was mad. I wanted a fight. Okay? I wanted a fight. Now, okay, now, now let's just take that, that's just a case study, and let's, let's see, was there an unmet need of mine at that moment? I wanted to fight, okay? Uh, yes, what's my unmet need? My unmet need is to walk around, not get random calls that make me feel bad about myself. That's my need. Did my mom have an unmet need? To this day, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I think it's actually pretty evident what it is. She wanted me to be a better son. She was probably thinking, why am I thinking about you right now and calling you when you should be calling me and asking me how I'm doing? Uh, it was at a time when I didn't see my, much, uh, my mom as much as I do now. I like to think that our relationship is at least in a better place. But fundamentally, I still feel like I'm not meeting her, what seems like, gargantuan unmet need. Whenever we fight, isn't the source a need that's not being met, a desire that's not being fulfilled? And so what James is saying is, I mean, let's look at the heart of the matter. It's an unmet need. Okay, so what do we do with that? Now, uh, what James says next is probably something we don't understand. We're going to unpack that. But James says, okay, this, this is it. This is, this is, this is it. He goes like verse 2, he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Let me say that again. He says, you do not have these needs that are unmet, are not being met because you're not asking for them to be met. Dreams that are unfulfilled, you're not asking them to be filled. Needs that are not met, you're not asking them to be met. And we're like, what are you talking about, James? My whole fight with my wife or mom or boss has been about demanding that they fill this need and they're not feeling this need. So I have to speak louder. What are you talking about? I'm letting my needs be known. And to this, I think James is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not saying asking the person you're fighting with to fill that need. I'm not talking about the horizontal asking. I think James said, I'm talking about the vertical asking. Now, now, some of us, actually, we need to get better at the horizontal asking. But to say it in a kind way, say it in a nice, respectful way, say it with an economy of words, with restraint, so it's known, but not all the extra stuff. But James here, is, that's not his point. 
His point is like, I'm talking about asking God to fill those needs. Because if you're looking to God to fill those needs instead of the other person, then God is ultimately in his timing if you trust him. He is going to fill those needs. The answer you're looking for, he will provide. The unmet need, he will meet. Now, if you remember what James said in chapter 1, he said, every good and perfect gift that comes from above comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Let me say that again. Every, how many? How many is every? Every. Every good and perfect gift. Everything that you need, every desire, every need comes from the Father of lights who gives generously to those without finding fault. And so James says, well, you don't have, because you're not asking for those needs ultimately to be met in God. And I, I wonder how many marriages in this room are suffering because core needs are not being met and we're looking for them from the other person, but ultimately we need to be looking for them to be filled by God. Can you imagine talking less to the person and talking more to God about those needs? Can you imagine asking less? I'm not saying don't ask, but I'm saying respectfully, with restraint, letting the needs be known. But ultimately, you're asking more from God because he ultimately is going to be the one to fulfill it. How many relationships are suffering because we're looking for people and they can't, but God can? If there's one point I want you to remember from this message, it's this. The only one who can meet our unmet needs is God himself. Let me say that again. The only one who can meet our unmet needs is God himself. <clears throat> so you take the teachings of James here, and in effect, he's kind of saying this. You guys, marriage is good. You married? Great. It's good. It's a good gift from God. But you know something? Your spouse could never ultimately satisfy you. The only one who can meet those unmet needs is God himself. And when God is satisfying your ultimate need, then you won't need to look for that ultimate need from your spouse and you know what? You're going to be at peace with your spouse. Your career. That's a good thing. But you know your career can never ultimately satisfy you. If you look for ultimate satisfaction in your career, you're going to be at odds with coworkers. You're going to be at odds with your boss. You're going to be at odds with your competitors because career was never meant to satisfy you. The only one who can meet those unmet needs is God himself. And when your ultimate satisfaction is found in God, then a career can be, you know, you can be a career. Having kids, you know where I'm going with this. They're okay. No, I'm kidding. They're a good gift. But kids cannot ultimately satisfy you. If you look for your ultimate satisfaction in your kids, they will bitterly disappoint me. Because the only one who can meet those unmet needs is God himself. And when God satisfies you ultimately, then kids can be kids. Not idols, kids. Maybe you're like, Pastor Andrew, I hear what you're saying. <clears throat> But you're not being practical enough. Because the stuff that I'm not happy about, the conflict that's in the middle of it, I don't really see how God could provide ultimate satisfaction for this unmet need. I, I think that's fair. Maybe some of you are like, can you be a little bit more practical? Okay. Well, I think at this point James might quote Jesus and say, didn't Jesus say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Didn't Paul say that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? That's huge covering, all things. And there's a promise here. If you find your ultimate satisfaction in the Lord, then every legit practical need, God will meet you in that need. Do you trust him? Can you stop demanding or guilting someone else to provide for that need and ultimately make it a matter of prayer? Talking to God more, talking to that person about it less. Now, I'll give you an example that I'm assuming you probably have never heard in a sermon before at church. It was shared uh, with me by a friend of mine, older and wiser than I am, walking with the Lord for many, many years. And the fundamental problem that my friend has had Uh, The fundamental thing that he was at odds about with his wife is um, the frequency of their sexual intimacy, okay? So he has some core needs, and they're just not being met. And I imagine for good reason. They have kids. It's a busy life. And so he's sharing this with me. And my first thought is, I can't believe... You're sharing this with me because it's something that a lot of married people can relate to, but we never talk about stuff like this. You know, you're not, and here I am talking about it from the pulpit, but we, we, just, we just don't, we don't talk about that, right? But it's a real thing, right? It's a real thing. And so, um, so I'm, I'm into this conversation. I'm very interested. He says, he, says, he says to me, I've learned to take this core need to Jesus. I'm like, what are you talking about, right? This is... Um, and this, okay, so, so here's what he said. He said, I have learned, I've learned not to demand that my wife fulfill my needs. I've learned not to make her feel guilty. I've learned not to demand. I've, because they, they would fight about it. I, I have heard that married couples, the top three things they fight about are um, uh, in-laws, finance, and sex. So this is not really a surprise. And so he's saying that, you know, I realize also that I could take a shortcut with self-stimulation, but I have learned in this issue to wait upon the Lord and to let the Lord provide for my needs. So I'm looking at him like, how does the Lord provide for your needs? He says, I wait on the Lord, and he always provides in his timing. He works on my wife's heart. Sometimes I let my wife know my needs, but it's never in a fighting, guilt-ridden way. And God always meets me in this place when I make my needs known to him. Now, I, I, love, I love this example because you would never think that this is something that you can ask the Lord to ultimately satisfy. I would not even think that. But is this a core legit need? It is a core legit need. And I think the Lord who created us with a desire for sexual intimacy can be trusted to fulfill it. And I have heard stories about God providing in finances and need for work. And, uh, but we don't think that this would be something that the Lord can pro- make a provision in. And so here's my point. If the Lord can be trusted with something like this, then is there anything in your life that he could not be trusted with to ultimately fulfill you in? You guys, the only one who can meet our unmet needs is God himself. And so right now, 
uh, I want to stop and ask you that if you are in a fight with someone, maybe it's a long-ranging fight, maybe spouse or boss or mother-in-law, can you identify what that core need is? What would it look like for you to ultimately not demand or try to fight your way or lecture or guilt your way into getting those needs met? But what would it look like for you to take that to prayer? What would it look like for you to look to God to ultimately meet those needs? I think some people are like, you know, I don't know how to do that. I feel like the only way I can get my needs met is by convincing the other person to meet those needs. Can you talk less to the person and talk more to God to fill those needs? Can you, instead of appealing to that person and making your appeal, can you instead take that appeal to God and say, God, would you meet me in this need? Because ultimately, you alone can provide. Some of us, maybe we're saying, well, I have asked God for this, and I've been waiting, and it doesn't seem like he's going to give it to me. And now I think the next verse James gives to answer that, this is verse 3. James says, you ask, and you don't receive. You know why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James says, well, you do ask, and you don't receive, and your needs are not met, because you're asking wrongly. You want to spend it on your passions. Now, I have to assume that when James says passions, if I look at the context, he means selfish desires. You know, I, I told you that James is going to go back to that, that um, issue of dividedness. Remember, he was saying the reason why you fight is because there is this war inside. You guys remember that? You're at war within yourself. You have an angel inside you. You have a demon inside you. There is part of you that wants to honor God, yeah? There is also part of you that wants to live for selfish desires. And as long as the part inside you that wants to live for selfish desires is driving the car, then you're going to be fighting against God who doesn't want to ruin your soul, and you're going to be fighting against other people because they can't give you what you ultimately want. It's like that line in that Keith Green song that goes, well, you pray to prosper and succeed, but your flesh is something God just can't feed. I want you to remember the context of this passage. The people in the church that James is writing to, they must have been fighting with each other. There's no other explanation for why James was writing what he wrote. They were fighting with each other in their relationships. And I want you to remember I was fighting with my mom. Now, after she gives me that really weird phone call, I was mad. I was really mad. And she must have been mad, too, because we both had needs that were not being met. Now, I just want you to imagine James coming to us and saying, starting with me first, Andrew. Andrew, if your driving passion in life is to honor God, honestly, would you be that upset with your mom? Because on the phone when she's, you know, is, are you a good son, that sort of thing, I think I felt dishonored. I felt like all my efforts towards my mom was not being respected, was not being cherished. I felt dishonored. But if my driving passion was to honor God, would I really be that upset with my mom? Imagine James saying to my mom, you know, 
You know, Joanne, if your ultimate needs were met by God, if they were met by God, would you need to give your son a random phone call making him feel guilty? To which I'm sure my mom would say yes, because my mom's complex. But that's beside the point. I am want you to imagine James saying to you, if you're fighting with someone, you have a grudge against someone, someone's harmed you in a way, it's really hard to forgive someone, there's resentment, someone's belittled you. Imagine James saying, honestly, honestly, if you're driving passion in life, if the, if the, if the person driving the car of your life is the Holy Spirit that wants to honor God, are you going to be so upset with so-and-so? Can you imagine what it would look like if families who are fighting, if siblings who are fighting, if churches who are fighting, if communities who are fighting all shared the common purpose in life, which is to give glory to God? I think if our true passion in life was to give God glory, a lot of the quarreling that we have from day to day, I think it would simply go away. <clears throat> I want to share one last thing because I do imagine that some of us here are feeling like I hear the message but I need something more because someone has hurt me and there's pain and there's resentment and it just runs deep. I want to honor God but I don't know how to get rid of the resentment that's still there. I'm quarreling from somewhere deep. I want to honor God but I, I, I don't know what to do with that pain. And if, that you, if that's you, I stand here ready to give you good news. There is a Savior who about 2,000 years ago died on a cross. And the person that is inside us that is resentful and unforgiving died with Jesus on that cross. And the person who forgives and is kind and has unmet needs met in God, that new person rose with Jesus. And that is good news. I want to end with this story. This is from Watchman Nee. An engineer living in a large city in the west left his homeland for the far east. He was away for two or three years, and during his absence, his wife was unfaithful to him and went off with his best friend. On his return home, he found he had lost his wife, his two children, and his best friend. At the close of a meeting which I was addressing, this grief-stricken man unburdened himself to me. Day and night for two solid years, my heart has been full of hatred, he said. I am a Christian, and I know I ought to forgive my wife and my friend, but though I try and try and try to forgive them, I simply cannot. Every day I resolve to love them, and every day I fail. What can I do about it? Nothing at all, Watchman Nee replied. What do you mean, he asked, startled. Am I to continue hating them? I explained. The solution of your problem lies here. That when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he not only bore your sins away, but he bore you away too. When he was crucified, your old man was crucified in him. So that unforgiving you who simply cannot love those who have wronged you has been taken right out of the way in his death. God has dealt with the whole situation on the cross. And there is nothing left for you to deal with. Just say to him, Lord, I cannot love. I give up trying, but I count on your perfect love. I cannot forgive, but I trust you to forgive instead of me and to do so in my place.
in closing, let us run to Jesus. He alone forgives in our place, and he alone can provide for our unmet needs in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the one who created us with needs stands ready in his timing to fulfill those needs. Your arms are never too short to provide. I know that for many here, it might be hard to trust you. We're still looking for others to fill those needs, and I pray that that would cease by the power of Jesus. I pray that new trust would be born. I pray that you would direct our hearts and our eyes upward to say, God, only you can fill those needs, and I look to you to fill them in your timing. I wait upon you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.